Welcome to First and Fifteen, the show that takes you around the UK flag football scene. Sponsored by Nuola, your customised sportswear supplier. Okay, so we are live. So another week of the First and Fifteen podcast, the women's edition, this first one of this month. Um, so we are joined today by Ellie Thorpe, who plays flag with GB. That's um, her... I don't know. That's not what you're known for. You're known for many things. Um, but we met at Warwick University playing for the Wolverines as well. Um, so Ellie's kind of at the moment helping me to cover our flag kind of representation. Um, we are hoping that Tamara's going to join us as well. She's also part of the GB flag setup, but she is hopefully only just running a little bit late or something's not working, but hopefully she'll join us in a little bit. Um, but we also have a, a special guest appearance this week um, from Kat White. So Kat actually was at university. Strangely, we were all at Warwick, but we didn't really overlap very much. <laughs> um, but I've brought her on this week because Kat, um, so just to fill everyone in, she's you do so much stuff. You're an author, an actor. You're having things published all over the place and you're working with lots of different sponsorship deals and things at the moment. You can probably give us a bit more information, um, a much better introduction than that. But Kat, um, I have on Facebook and see a lot of things that she posts about um, sort of racism and sort of um, things to help the black community and whatever. So I w we wanted to discuss uh, part of this so that today will be about the ugly side of sport. And part of that we want to talk about was racism, especially after what we saw happened in the Euros this year with the, um, you know, with the fallout from basically what happened. So I wanted to bring Kat on as kind of like an expert um, voice on this, because obviously Ellie and I don't really have the platform for this. This is not our topic to talk about. We want to highlight it, but at the end of the day, it's not for us to speak about. So um, we've brought Kat on, despite not being from the flag community, as a kind of voice to help navigate us through this. And hopefully tomorrow we'll be here to give her um, personal opinion as well on some of these topics. So that just sort of explains how this one's been put together. It's a bit of a random one this week, but hopefully it's going to make for some good conversation. Um, so Maybe, Kat, do you want to introduce yourself a little bit first and then we can dive straight into our first topic? Yeah, great. Hello, everyone. Nice to see you all. Um, my name's Kat White and, I mean, Lou's already done a pretty good introduction. So um, my my day job, I guess, is I'm a gender expert and advisor to the United Nations. So that's what I do by day. But I'm also um, about to publish my debut book, which is called If We're Going to Heal, Let It Be Glorious, which is a celebration of black women and it covers things from politics to sport to beauty to it really looks at everything and just uncovers black women from throughout history who we haven't heard of some of them we have but a lot of them we haven't and looks at what we can all learn from them it's really not just for black women I've always said if I can find the whitest of white men who will read this book and resonate with it then I've done my job um, and I'm also an actor and filmmaker um, doing quite a lot at the minute um, to kind of encourage better representation in every walk of life, I guess I would say. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll leave it there with that. Thanks, Lou. I know that um, we're all about supporting each other and being equal and whatever, but that's quite an intimidating introduction, I think, to hear of somebody who's doing all of these things. And uh, yeah, but it's great to have you on. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us, because as you can tell, Kat's a very busy person. So um, it's really great to have you on as well. And obviously, Ellie, your first time on the women's podcast. Yeah. Um, yeah, thank you very much for joining us. 
So um, we're going to start, we're kind of going to do the podcast in two parts. So the first part we're going to talk about is a little bit um, in terms of kind of the competitive side of sport. Um, we're going to focus obviously on flag a little bit, but also look a little bit, we're not going to go crazy into it. We'll probably save that for another time, but going to look a little bit as well into sort of the women's equality and the effect that this has on women specifically, of course, being a women's podcast. Um, and then later on, we're going to talk a little bit more about kind of the racism discrimination side of the ugly part of sport. Um, so the reason I kind of came across this part was um, I kind of noticed through my flag career that you often get one team who performs really really well and it doesn't matter if it's made up of the greatest girls or guys they seem to always carry this reputation of being hated and I think it is mostly out of pure jealousy um, and because people want to see successful people fail for some reason because it's they continue to be successful um, and so <laughs> A part of this came from um, my husband's football team. There's often a lot of trash talk around them because they do really well. And I think it takes away from their talent and the hard work that they put in. Um, but we see this across um, sort of all sports generally. But, you know, within the NFL, you obviously have the, the concept of Tom Brady being this amazing quarterback and everybody wants to find a way to criticise him, that he's cheating, that he's buying refs off. Um, that it's about the coaching, it's about this, that and the other, but nobody him, will give him credit. Um, and it became kind of embarrassing to be a Patriots fan. And then he went to the Buccaneers and he created success there as well. And I kind of, as much as I loved the Chiefs, I kind of wanted the Bucs to win the Super Bowl just to almost prove that point of can we finally now at least say that he's a good player regardless of any other thoughts. So um, we have that situation within flag in the UK at the moment with the Cougars, which is why originally we were going to have Kelly on, but unfortunately she's um, got some family stuff going on. So thoughts with Kelly at the moment. Um, but Ellie, I think you've obviously, we've played against the Cougars our whole careers. We've played with them. You, you know, you've trained with them. You're very close to them now that you're in Leamington and whatnot. Um, do you think that there's been, that kind of thing perhaps with the Cougars and the fact that they've had such a successful run for such a long time that there is this kind of reputation around them that it's almost the team to hate? Yeah, and I think we've definitely seen that over the years to some extent, perhaps more so back when we first started. I think there was much more of a, oh, it's the Cougars, like we know what they're like. Um, I think less so now that we're all a bit more grown up, but I think part of that just comes from um, you know, seeing the same team succeed over and over again, it, it makes the league perhaps less exciting or lose its magic a bit. I don't know. It gets a bit repetitive. You know, you always expect that team to win and do well. And I think it is perhaps a shame that it does take away from, you know, the hard work and the determination that those teams put in. Like, I know I've seen the Cougars, how hard they work and 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 they absolutely deserve that success. So I think it's a shame, but I think people perhaps get a bit tired of seeing it. And like you said, I've played against them in so many finals. Um, and, you know, I always find that really exciting. But for people watching, they always have that that sort of mentality that the Coos are expected to win. That being said, I think it probably puts a lot of pressure on those teams. Um, they don't succeed. It's almost an even bigger uh, fall from grace for them. So I think it's tough as well. Was it the 2016 final where... Um, they lost to the Warriors and it was very controversial and, you know, you could see how much that that affected them and they were all devastated by that. So I think it kind of goes both ways. 
it's also like massive pressure if, you, if you're always the team to be winning. Yeah, for sure. And I wonder if there's also an element that some people think that it doesn't mean as much to them, but actually it does, because like you say, in that 2016 final, it was devastating for them. And it does still mean a lot to win, even if it is for the fifth, sixth, seventh time or, or whatever. And um, Kat, do you think that you've experienced anything along these lines before? I think it, I mean, I hate to bring the tone almost down and back to sexism, but I do kind of feel like as a woman, you're always expected somehow, if you're a woman who's achieving, you're somehow kind of spoken down to or looked down on and you're not expected to, you almost can't celebrate yourself, I think. And that's something that I, it doesn't sit well with me. Like I'm from a family who like, raise each other up in every sense of the word and I feel like even the way that social media is we're expected to project a certain image of ourselves but at the same time if you project that too far you're arrogant or you're uh, obsessed with yourself do you know what I mean that it feels as though um in sport but also in life it's not really set up for women to back themselves and to say do you know what I'm really good at this and I'm really successful at this and I'm going to achieve in this way and I think that's a real problem, to be honest, because I think men are allowed to do that. And yes, sometimes it's seen as arrogant, but a lot of the time it's just like accepted as being a part of, of like sportsmanship or of, of whatever it is that they're doing. If we move slightly outside of sport and look a little bit, a little bit more zoomed out. And I, I don't really I've never really understood that. I want to celebrate myself. I want to celebrate my friends. I want to celebrate people I don't even know when they achieve things. Um yeah, I don't know. What do you both think? Do you find that tricky as well? I I definitely resonate with that in some areas of my life. Mm -hmm. I think a uh, flag is something that actually I feel quite different about. I think the team element of it is really, really strong. I mean, I think that's in part the nature of the game. Like you all have to work together. You have to be on the same page. Um, and actually you celebrate each other's wins. You, you know, like... You're, you're together when you lose it's it's almost like I never feel um that way when I'm with the sort of flag community um so there's a real real strong bond there of like women who all want to do really well and I think Lou and I have probably seen that at GB recently like in the GB setup we're all from different teams so we're used to playing against each other but then you come together and you're on the same team and you actually want to see each other do well for the sake of the team. And that's a really strange feeling, right? Going from playing against somebody and actually wanting to see them fail and then going to wanting to see them do well and, and like supporting each other. So that's been a really nice, almost like change of mindset. Um, and I think that's only got, got stronger for us over the last um, sort of couple of years. Do you think there's an element with flag, and I, I don't want to obviously pull off any kind of stereotype here, but the fact that it comes from more of an, uh, when you look at the NFL and you look at the American kind of, the stereotype of they are quite hyped, you know, in the NFL, it's very much they go to the cameras, they celebrate, it's, it's there's a lot of trash talk of, you know, I'm better than you and I can do this. And it's, it's that kind of feeling that perhaps it translates a little bit over here in flag because there is that element of you can put that tiny bit more arrogance on because it's kind of seen within NFL kind of situations as being kind of normal. Whereas like in the real world, when women, it's a typical thing of when women are um, kind of in control, they're bossy. And when they're overly competitive, they're nasty or manipulative or, you know, it's that often for females, those kind of um, personality traits are twisted into something a little bit more negative than it would perhaps be for kind of for a male um 
I sort of wonder if perhaps we do slightly get away with it more in flag because it is that kind of that hyped up, pumped up kind of American cheerleading, big crowd kind of sport. Mm. But in a lot of other sports, you know, in tennis or athletics, if they came in and said, you know, I'm the best, like Usain Bolt comes in and says he's amazing and everyone's like, yeah. But if a female runner came along and did that, would it be a little bit like, that's too arrogant, you back yourself too much, like, we hope you fail? Yeah, and I think I think it's interesting that, again, like when I started eight, nine years ago, whenever, I probably did have that mindset that like, oh, that, that girl's a very aggressive player, like, she must be you know like I don't want to see her succeed um but I think over the years like now I feel so embedded in the community and like I'm so used to women lifting up women um like I don't I don't feel that way anymore I think you can sort of leave that on the field you can be aggressive on the field and then sort of walk away and and not not take that with you I think that's a very different feeling to perhaps when I first started playing um sport competitively but that, I think, in itself is the problem because how many girls are never going to get to like your both of the amazing positions that you're in because they're going to look at this and be like, I could never do that. I could never get there. I would never want to be seen as aggressive. Like the million things they would go through, they will never get to that point. The most they will probably do at school is like playing netball or, you know, like they, yeah. which fine is a fun game, but like it has its limits when that's the only sport on offer. And then yeah. what happens? Like, I feel like we're all of our women, all of our girls are being capped. Like, they're not able to surpass a certain thing unless they happen to, for example, meet someone who introduces them to a sport or someone who makes them think that they can go beyond like the things that are on offer in PE, which are still really uninspiring. Like, I have a sister who's just left school and it hadn't changed from when I left, which is bizarre. Why is yeah. that? It's funny, Ellie and I actually very briefly just had this conversation about talking about, you know, entry to sport and from a school level. And I made the joke that, well, the only sport we ever did was netball. And occasionally, as Ellie said, rounders in the summer. And I vividly remember getting to university, walking around sports fair and thinking, right, I'm going to go straight for the rugby table because I want something completely different. And I am quite a physical, aggressive person. And I think I was fortunate that my sister had played rugby. So I kind of felt like I could be this I mean, my dad was very much, I was always the boy of the family, even though I have a brother. Like I was brought up that this kind of, this kind of nature is fine. But it is true, like coming through a school system where all you play is netball, which is fine, but it's a very girly sport in terms of it really is only played by girls and it doesn't have often in school the best reputation. It can be a bit bitchy and a bit catty. And sometimes you do need a sport where you can get a bit more aggression and a bit more physicality and everything and it needs to be on offer and just like you say Kate it, okay, it could be like a big boundary or a big barrier for someone getting into sport yeah. because if they simply don't enjoy that one sport um then, life. yeah because no one's encouraging them no one's being like oh okay so you don't know netball but never mind because we, let's try cricket never mind let's try rugby whereas like for boys they play everything and like, yeah, eventually there are some boys who just aren't sporty. And even that in itself, I don't even agree with. I think anyone has the capacity to be good at sport. We're just kind of like, so it's like shoved down our throats that you have to be good at it. You don't, you can just enjoy it. But like the girls, they don't even get that. They just literally get like the dregs of what sport has to offer. And then if they don't like it or they're not good at it, that's it. And that's just ridiculous. And like, how many girls do you know? I don't know if you feel the same as me, but I've noticed loads of my friends who at school or at uni were like not sporty, like 100% not those girls. Now they're all like playing hockey for a team, playing netball for a team. They've, they've yeah. done that in their own time as like adult women. 
but at school they were always the girls in set 2PE who I would like look at and be like you're never going to be good at sport that was me and I'm like a a girl's girl and I used to be like thank god I'm not you I'm so sporty like it somehow gets into your own head that you look down on girls who aren't good at sport if you are a girl that is which again is a problem yeah I agree I mean so I went to university thinking I was going to do like dance in my spare time. We ended up joining like the cheerleading team and that's actually where I met Lou and never did I think I'd be playing like football or anything like that. I was never really into anything outdoors like that. And then all of a sudden met Lou on a night out and she was like, oh, you should come try American football. So much fun. You'll love it. And I'd had a drink and I was like, yeah, great. I'll give it a go. And then <laughs> she made me follow up on it and you know what it was great. Um, but I think this, I'm so lucky I had that interaction and I'd met yeah. Lou, who, you know, had a foot in both, in both of these sports. Like otherwise I would have never found it and I wouldn't have yeah. had all these amazing experiences. And yeah, I agree. I think, I think women are so limited and, I was thinking about um, universities being a really good sort of stepping stone for women getting into flag. But that also made me think about all the women that don't go to university who then even don't get that exposure, the limited exposure that there is at university. They don't even have that. So how do we engage with those women outside of those university circles in the sport, let alone like get girls at school? Like, I think it's just, yeah, there's so much work to be done there. Yeah, I think that that was absolutely a thing for me. There was almost like a safety in that what well, you're at uni, you can do what you want. Like you can go to the shop in your pajamas, you can hang out with whoever you want, you can go and do a sport that doesn't mean anything because it's fine. There was like a safety net of being at university. But had I have not gone to university, would I have gone along to the local rugby club? Probably not. I probably would not have had the guts to do that. So you're absolutely right. Like the privilege of being in that environment and having you know, walking into a sports um, fair that had a table for everything where you really could just be like, you know what, she's cool, I'll go over there. Um, to have that basically almost forced on you, which is the complete opposite of what we'd experienced up until that point. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. It has to start so much earlier. It has to start in, in I would say in primary school, like I think it has to begin from there where there is no difference in how girls and boys are treated and everyone's treated as though they have the capacity to play any sport if they want to and I think that we're a long long way from that happening and I was I did I've done a lot of research in the past year um so back going back a little bit context I'm now running a project between United Nations Institute for Training and Research who I work for and the Premier League Charitable Fund so we've partnered and we've been running we we are about to launch a pilot project which is for girls in well girls age 11 to 18 so kind of secondary school age girls mostly from marginalized communities we have absolutely like the most amazing diverse group of girls and it's a mental health gender equality and also leadership kind of program so they have sports they play football they do other things but it's also a leadership program that runs alongside that so before getting to this point, I did, I spent the last year researching, just speaking, I spoke to Lou, in fact, I spoke to basically any girl I knew who was willing to chat to me about their experience playing sport. And I cannot tell you how devastating some of the stuff I heard was just simple things like a girl who wanted to set up a football team in her lunch breaks and like the PE teachers just never showed up to unlock the changing rooms like just the most simple but heartbreaking things these were girls I knew like this was just through my socials community mm. and then I expanded it and I realized that this wasn't just in my circle this was actually everywhere um, and so the whole ethos for this this program which is called Premier League Changemakers is to 
reach the girl who would not put her hand up and say, pick me, is to reach that girl that would have sat back, never volunteered, but has absolutely the potential to be a leader and to be a change maker and to just, it doesn't matter if she's not gonna be the next prime minister. It doesn't matter if she's gonna be whatever job, it's just about having that capacity to have a go and join in. And I really think that's all it needs. Just be like, it doesn't matter if you're not good, just try it, try it. And it's I definitely think for girls, there's an element of they, for whatever reason, and I believe it's socialization that to get into sport and to take it seriously, there often needs to be a nudge. Like Ellie said, I made her come to a training session. Um, you know, like there often does need to be that nudge. And it's like, you need some sort of inspiration. Even if you look at a lot of the women at the moment in the Olympics, where they say, well, I started doing, um, I think there was a girl recently who was um doing quite taekwondo and she said she started doing it because she'd seen the girl before her i think is it jade jones i'm not so great with the taekwondo name but she'd watched her do it and it inspired her and i think it's fantastic that women are having these nudges and this inspiration but at the same time boys are kind of filtered into sport and it's their choice if they choose not to do it whereas for girls it's like a oh this inspiration or this nudge or this person introduced me and we need to somehow get rid of some of those barriers um and I think one of the other really sad things to have come out of the Olympics for me as well so far was obviously the very overly talked about um, thing with the Norwegian uh, beach volleyball team wearing shorts instead of bikini bottoms. I honestly, I, can't, I still can't even express like in this day and age that we're still talking about what women are wearing and that there's no legitimate reason like if the men were wearing the exact same thing and they had some kind of technical reasoning for why this outfit had to be worn um but it's i cannot believe in this day and age we still have people like olympic committees who are creating this level of sexism within sport on a world scale like it doesn't get more it doesn't get bigger it doesn't get more high profile than this and we're still discussing whether girls should be wearing bikini bottoms or whether they can wear their Nike Pro pants. Like, it's actually what is I just, it blows my mind. And I think we're trying to fight it from like a grassroots level. And then you've got the Olympics who are the just Olympic like. The Olympic committee. And also with racism, which we'll, I'm sure, get to later. But yeah, like at the highest level, they're imposing that. Where do we go from there? What do we do? How do we move? Like, obviously, if you're a girl that likes playing beach volleyball, you see that, you're like, no, not for me. I don't want to be on live TV to the world in just my bikini bottoms. I think I'll choose another sport or quit because it's not for me. Like they don't understand the message they're sending out. I mean, talk about barriers to sport. That is probably, I would say, like I said beforehand, you know, doing swimming in school mixed in a swimming costume, going through like puberty and whatnot, like clothing, I feel for women is one of the biggest barriers, surely. And to to have something like that, it's just, it blows my mind that it's even, I mean, even that their PR people didn't look at this and go, hold on a minute, let's take a breath. But it shows you that everyone, everyone at that level is within the same circle of people. Like they're obviously all men of a certain calibre because like they are and their PR people are because otherwise someone, if you were working for them, you would have been like, hang on, <laughs> this is not going to actually go down that well. Like maybe we should rethink. It just shows that everyone in that sphere is is of the same ilk. It absolutely proves the point because otherwise mm. someone would have flagged it. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. one of the things that um, I do think is slowly changing is 
um, like female representation um, for like big brands and things and, and just the female image generally. So one of the brands I've read about recently is Victoria's Secret, obviously has been declining massively the last few years. Um, we all know what the brand represents, but it's I think it's been bought or owned is now owned um, by somebody different, a whole new uh, leadership board. And they're making a lot of changes in terms of like the the kind of clothes that they sell um, being more diverse, more inclusive. I think they're stocking like maternity underwear and stuff like that. But also in terms of their kind of spokespeople, their models. Um, so I think they've got a really diverse range of women lined up from all different backgrounds, all different sort of sectors that they're involved in. And I think one of them is the U one of the US soccer players, which I thought was a really interesting choice. Um, so that, but I think that's the sort of thing that we want to see more brands doing. You know, if girls at school are seeing that their favourite brands being represented by such a diverse range of women and women, you know, doing all sorts of different things, whether that's, I think some of them are actors, they had some activists, they had sportswomen, like all sorts, then those girls will then be encouraged and think, actually, I can be a girl that wears Victoria's Secret and I can play sport, you know, and that's not something you see very often. So I think that's a really positive thing and something I definitely want to see more brands doing. I completely agree. I hadn't heard of that at all, actually. So that's really interesting yeah. to, to know. About. That's cool. Um, so whilst we are discussing the Olympics, as we've kind of made our way already to that topic, um, it might be worth now kind of talking. So we're very much hoping, and I don't know how much this is um, in the pipeline or if this is just dreaming, but we're very much hoping that flag might become an Olympic sport, perhaps in 2028 when it's, I believe, in LA. Maybe it's a sport they potentially might choose. Um, so it's quite, um, I think, quite topical for us to talk about kind of this within the realms of Olympics because our sport could potentially be on that level at some point, which would be absolutely amazing. Um, so I was thinking perhaps we could have a little talk now about um, Simone Biles because obviously that's um, a very kind of hot off the pro press topic. Um, does anybody already have kind of an opinion not an opinion but you know what do you think about her stepping down from the all-round team event yesterday what do we think yeah I think I did actually when I first was um I was reading about it it did make me think of um just the immense pressure that athletes are under generally so it did actually bring me back to the Euros penalties um, and thinking about the pressure that these athletes are under when they're stepping up to take these penalties. Probably the same that she's under competing in, you know, the biggest competitions in her sport. Um, and I had a conversation with one of my friends after those penalties and after they've been missed and things like that. And she was saying, you know, at that level, you've got to turn up and you have to do your job. You have to perform. When you're being paid that much, you have to perform. And I was saying, I completely disagree like with sport there's so many other factors involved there's the, the, the pressure on you to perform physically but also mentally is insane and that's just what I've experienced in my very small small sporting world um, and I've seen that firsthand I've seen teams absolutely crumble they've been so capable but not being able to execute because mentally they've suffered um, you know under the pressure um, so for those men to step up and take these penalties already under loads of pressure and then afterwards you know after all the horrendous racial abuse I, I was reading that you know a lot of members of the black community were like well we sort of expected that we were worried about that we knew that that was going to happen as soon as they failed so for those players to, to step up and take those penalties knowing already that they were going to face such severe backlash if things didn't go well 
obviously that's just like incredible pressure to be under. So that really made me think about the sort of pressures that somebody like Simone Biles, you know, is, is under. It's like already enough pressure. It's just like another layer. So I absolutely think if she had to pull out from the biggest competition, there's a, a reason she had to and she's always I mean I think we should commend her for putting herself first and putting her mental health first and I don't think she would have pulled out unless she absolutely had to um interestingly I was also reading about like gymnastics and I think you, you're allowed like three competitors and one reserve or something so they take four and then there's always one reserve so she was sort of stepping out and being the reserve so it wasn't as if she was just like pulling herself out um but yeah, I just, you reading all this stuff, you're like, how are we still debating issues like mental health? And let alone for, you know, people like Simone Biles, who we, we know has faced so much criticism already. It's just, yeah, ridiculous. I completely agree with you. And like, the thing I always bring it back to is athletes are athletes because they want to win. They enjoy that. They want to win. And for an athlete to not even compete that should tell you something of what they're going through they're not people who get scared I mean of course we all get scared but they're not people who get scared at the thought of competition they really do this because they have that genuine ability to face up to the pressure of whatever it is that they're, they're, they're going through and win and I think we even for me it's not even up for discussion I'm not even here to debate someone's mental health I mean she stepped down for whatever valid reason she's going through and you get you get um what's his name the horrible journalist Piers Morgan and people <laughs> like that and he has a problem with young women as well he had he did the same thing to Naomi Osaka and every time she does an interview now he's using it against her it's like she can step down from her sport and give an interview it's as though people don't understand that we have the capacity to choose what we are able to do yeah which in itself is really, well, I find it really mind-blowing. I, I, mm. I, it's it's really? scary, really. We're in 2021. How are we yeah, debating? Yeah. And I also think with something like gymnastics, like if you make a mistake, you could break your neck. Like it's not as if you can just, yes. oh, if I make a mistake, you know, my team won't win. No, you actually could really hurt yourself. Yes. And, um, you know, some reading some of the like critique of the skill that she pulled out of and stuff, like, even the fact that she pulled out of that skill and landed it was insane like so she pulled out effectively for her mental health but also the consequences of putting her physical health at risk as well I think we're, we're really yeah That's fundamental so yeah I didn't even think but, of that yeah I, I, I think that that kind of is what I thought personally came off clearest in the beginning was that it's very unusual for her to not stick her moves and to we're used to her being like a flawless performer and she can do whatever she you know whatever required and it was unusual to see her make mistakes and I think in a game or a sport like that if you're if your head isn't in it and you screw up one thing like you say you are going to injure yourself and for her who's got a career ahead of her you know as when you're I think everyday folk don't think about when this is your career and this is what you do and this is what you're aiming for. You cannot afford to get injured. Like Ellie, you know how it is at the moment with your knee. Like it niggles here and there. You want to get it better. And like if she has any any fear of not hitting a stunt, whether it's mental or it feels like her body can't do what she's trying to get it to do, she can't risk being injured. And I actually felt the way she came off of that, um, she came out of that um, 
event, the way she walked off, the way she spoke to her coach, I actually felt like she was very much in control. She very much was leading that conversation. And I think some people might make comments about it's weak. She should, it's because she's a girl, she can't just man up and get on with it or she can't handle the pressure, whatever. And I actually thought that was a very strong looking woman. She came off poised, she came off aggressive, she came off knowing what she wanted. She took herself out of the situation. She came back, she was there for her team. And I think that was probably one of the biggest signs of strength that you can see from from a woman, a black woman, a young woman. It's It wasn't at all a sign of weakness in, in my opinion. Yeah. I thought she handled it all with a lot of I don't know. She was very much thinking of herself yeah. and doing what she wanted. And I think that's great to see. Yeah. And, yeah, and she framed media, it as being, oh, sorry, go ahead, Ellie. No, I was just going to add that in her media interviews, I would say the same. She was so sure of what she was saying and so sure that she'd made the right decision. Like you could tell this wasn't somebody who was like weak and crumbling. And you no, know, she absolutely knew that this was the right thing for her. Yeah. 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 I completely agree. And I was only going to add to what both of you are saying, just that if she'd like very visibly broken her leg or something, we wouldn't even be having this conversation. But somehow, because like it's a little bit more unseen under the surface, it's a big problem for everyone. Yeah. Yeah. Well, mental health is definitely not treated in the same in the same way as physical health. And it is actually shocking. <laughs> um, so Ellie also brought up obviously what happened with the Euros and I think I don't know if it's because I'm over here in Germany so I feel like perhaps um, I feel partly removed from it and I obviously see things in quite an exaggerated form because it's like all through the media and all of this kind of thing um, but I was totally shocked by what happened I know um, it's recently come out that a lot of the black players said that they were expecting this to happen and I think Again, it's white privilege that I did, wouldn't even consider it when it was two white guys who scored and three guys, black guys who didn't. It didn't even cross my mind that there would be some kind of fallout and that that's what people would pick up on. Like it, again, from a point of privilege, but that was that blew my mind, the reaction to that. And that was obviously the, the driving factor for me wanting to do this part of the podcast was mm. I just, again, going back to like what we said before, I just cannot believe this is happening in 2021. I'm obviously very aware that it is. But, like, why? What, Kat, from your point of view, why do you think that this is not getting any better? Why are we still seeing this? Why is that the first level of discrimination that people seem to jump to? What would be kind of your view on, on what happened with the whole Euros pullout? Mm, it's, I think, okay, it's, it's impossible to answer, I would say. Um, but... From my point of view, this applies not just in, in, in football, but anytime you hear about something as a black person, say you hear about a crime, like for example, when Sarah Everard went missing, anytime you hear that, you literally pray to God that whoever did it is not black. I can't explain it, but this is something that is totally just among every single person. And I, I'm sure it applies to other communities of the global majority as well. You pray to God. That it's not and I mean we're talking about with Sarah Everard we're talking about something totally different there but as soon as this was going on with the Euros I mean though I was getting texts saying like make sure you're home safe you know that I'm in whatsapp groups so people are like hey where are you just checking in go home this is not going to end well before it even happened when like it was beginning to become clear that it was going to go to penalties and like we all kind of knew that once it went to pens that was it because like historically that 
doesn't work out well for us. And we didn't even know who was going to take the penalties at that point, but we just knew that if it ended badly, it would be the black players who would be targeted and by default the, the black fans. Um, why is that the case? I think we look at the like main demographic of England fans and... I don't. It's 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 really difficult to to uh to kind of say exactly what I mean. But I guess the main there's there's a core demographic of England fans who, as we see, boo the taking the knee. For example, um, they view that as a political statement. Um, they don't see a place for it in football. The players have said there's a real place for it in football because our brothers experience racism on a daily basis. And the demographic of fans that don't understand that who are significant in number are the demographic of fans who probably were taken to Twitter and taken to the murals of Marcus Rashford and whatever else to deface. So I think there's that um, as a problem in itself. I think we, we should have expected that from seeing how people treated the taking the knee, which was just like the most incredible gesture. And I'm so proud that they didn't back down on that. I think I really think this this team just should hold their heads high. I don't know how you both feel, but I think they did us so incredibly proud. And I think they reached the finals. That hasn't happened for so many years for a men's team for a reason. I do believe that they brought them together and it was the solidarity and it engaged people. Like I feel like my mom, she was like, can't wait for the final. Like she doesn't care about football, but she saw that they were supporting people like her. Like it made her feel proud to be English, which often is really difficult I think um if you are someone who is often on the receiving end of whatever form of discrimination it is um yeah I don't know what do you both think I'm really interested to hear yeah I think to your point that I think the the team have come across as very like respectable young men like a group of really respectable players like whenever you see them give interviews on social media they're always really classy and really supportive of each other and I think that was really clear in the response to to that whole scenario. Um, I don't actually know that much about football. Going to put my hands up now, but from what I have seen, I think that you're right. There is this demographic, and it seems to come out um, with England fans specifically. So not so much with um, you know like club teams, but more so with England teams. And obviously, we all love supporting our our country, and we like to see them do well. We do, and it's a, it's a very small minority of them that that have almost link it like you say to this very nationalist sort of mentality of like England first and and all of this and I, I to be honest I expected trouble like the violence we saw at the stadium like I don't know why they didn't have more police there um to support them like I feel like we see it quite a lot with England fans and it's such a shame that it casts such negativity on on the team and and on on the rest of the sort of England fans. I know Lou, you said from your perspective over in Germany, you were hearing all sorts about how England England fans were being perceived, and that is so sad to hear. Um, when like you like you say, Kat, the rest of us at home were like loving how involved everyone was getting with the Euros. It's just yeah. I think the unfortunate thing from from my point of view was that it, a lot of people messaged me and said don't be disheartened by it, it's a, it's a minority of fans. And I kind of felt like it sort of is getting to the point where one, it doesn't matter if it's a minority because with social media and with the news these days, minorities, they get they get the airtime. Yeah. 
but I also have the feeling it's not that much of a minority anymore. Mm. Like the, that minority is growing and that's the wrong direction in my opinion. Um, and I just think, you know, there's other teams who did the odd thing, you know, I, there were, I think between the French, was it the French and Spain game? There may have been some booing of national anthems, but that sort of was nothing in comparison to, you know, shining a laser in a goalkeeper's eyes during a penalty and the, you know, the fighting, you know, even the fact that there was 12,000 people without tickets inside Wembley Stadium, the whole thing just, there's something about football and England fans that I just, I can't wrap my head around. And it, I don't care if it is a minority, but it's definitely, in my opinion, it's going the wrong way. It's becoming more of a majority. Um, and I actually was very happy that they took the knee in the beginning. I think it's a great um, sign of respect for each other, um, you know, supporting the players in the team as well as like a level of kind of protection. Um, I love to see when other countries kind of did it with us, but I also found myself defending it more than I ever expected to with people that I didn't believe would have been asking me why they were doing it. You know, family members, for example, um, some relatively open-minded people asking why we felt the need to do it. Does it have a place in football? Um, and I kind of thought, you know, it, so taking it back to NFL, like this is where the, a lot of it started from with Colin Kaepernick doing it, taking a, a knee in the national anthem. Um, and the thing that I found really amusing from the beginning was that a lot of people had this massive issue with him doing this. Um, but yet when things ever progress into, for example, rioting, they always say, well, can't they find a peaceful way to protest? And I think, so taking a knee during the national anthem, that's not peaceful enough for you, or is that too peaceful? Or, you know, so interesting kind of point that it's, that it can start from somewhere like that and it kind of gets, taken completely the wrong way um so I was kind of liked the fact that it had got picked up by the football team and that they were doing it consistently and that it was almost in like a support I guess of that of the, the idea of taking the knee is that sign of support you know um I think um there's been some like barriers to expressing your political views with football though like I think UEFA said that like the Alliance Arena couldn't light up their um, arena with the pride colours and stuff like that. Like I think there are a lot of barriers. Um, I think they found other ways to sort of celebrate and and bring these issues to light. But I think things like that, I don't really understand how it all works. But I think at least that gave it some limelight in the news that everyone was talking about okay so they can't light up their stadium why not what what are these issues like which teams are involved I think that was quite interesting um but I think there are quite a lot of barriers and yeah like you guys I think it's such a nice gesture that they're taking the knee at the beginning of games and yeah I kind of don't see it as a political sign if it's about people's lives this is the other thing I I couldn't understand when people say you know keep politics out of football like yeah uh, fighting for equality of any kind, whether it be LGBTQ+, whether it's sexism, whether it's um, against racism, whatever, these are people's lives. And if people are going home from a football match scared about whether they're going to make it home okay, tell me how is that a political a political symbol or some kind of political move? It's This is people's lives. It, it's about <laughs> being alive at half the point. Like, I don't... I don't understand. And that. it's not something new. We we've always seen like politics and sport 
like the intersect between them like they are linked you can't you can't just remove politics from from something like sport it's always going to be there totally agree yeah and i am thinking you could just as easily say like stop singing you'll never walk alone for liverpool games or something like it's just as much you could say well what relevance does that song have you know it's just yeah. that is how that is part of their team's identity in the same way that taking the knee is part of this england squad's identity mm-hmm. and it's been mischaracterized as something that's political and something that came from blm when it didn't come from blm it's yeah. been around for absolutely years and like actually the silent protest like the for as a form of protest is ancient it's, it's exists way even before Colin Kaepernick it exists it pre-exists all of that and it's a really powerful form of protest and it's I think everything's been mischaracterized by people like the Daily Mail or whoever and you know whoever the this the platforms are that are kind of pushing this agenda I mean I don't know I don't actually speak ill of the Daily Mail if they haven't been maybe they haven't <laughs> no I don't read it <laughs> Um, well, I definitely think that Piers Morgan is not helping the situation. Is no. he? He's um, definitely adding fuel to the fire. Yeah. Um, but Kat, what do you think about um, in terms of, I think they're small steps. and I think there's obviously clearly way more that can be done. But um, in terms of trying to make amends, so for example, Washington Redskins removing the word Redskins, which I had absolutely no clue what it meant, where it came from. Um, so they are now the Washington football team because of the connotations it had, I believe, with Native Americans. Yeah. Um, and also, for example, things like it has, I think it's happened recently, I can't remember, was it in the Olympics or something, where um, a game was called off and the players were taken back in because of racism from the crowd. What do you think about these kind of steps that are being taken to try and combat racism or to mm-hmm. kind of create some kind of um, penalty for those people who are engaging in racist behaviours? Yeah, I think, I mean, you can look at it in two ways. You can obviously look at it and say, this is so surface level, this isn't going to achieve anything, what's the point, which a lot of people say. However, I think these small gestures and acts are so important because what they do is they start to make inroads into making greater change and to remove, for example, Redskins from from the name is so tiny to some people, but to those who are from that community that have been wronged by that name it means that they suddenly belong and I mean I think always of um my sister's best friend Jazz who's an amazing girl who lives lived in Bristol lives in Bristol and um when they pulled down the statue of Colston she was featured on I think every single news publication because she lived in Bristol she was studying in Bristol she's a rugby player actually she's the most incredible girl and she was studying at Cheltenham Rugby College and it was in Bristol and every day walked past this statue, which was of Colston, who was a slave trader. And people don't understand what that does to your psyche. She's already the only black girl in a women's rugby team. So like, let's unpack that for a second. Like the women's rugby team, they're already not being paid professionally in the same way as Manchester professional rugby player. And she's the only black girl there. And on top of that, every day she walks to training, she walks past the statue of someone that literally sold her ancestors. And like, you start to think about that and to like, even to me, I mean, I'm not from Bristol. I didn't know much about Colston. It's like, oh great, that's fantastic. But to her, it literally validates her existence. And I think you cannot underestimate the power of that. And none of these these gestures are small because what they say is we care and we're gonna make a change and we're going to not let this happen again. And even if right now it doesn't make a massive difference in 10 years' time, 
it will because by the time it gets 10 years time we may have some Native Americans for example who are now able to play on that team because it doesn't literally offend them to the core of their being for example so I personally think every single tiny gesture none of them are too small and I, I stand by that because also I don't know how else you make change like change doesn't happen overnight you can't make a massive change change has to literally be embedded in us we're quite basic people as humans we need to kind of just like live something every day until it becomes normal and then we're just like oh wow yeah I can't believe it was once illegal for my mum and dad to marry like that's so crazy not that crazy it was like what 60 years ago that it was illegal but like it's been normalized now because of tiny 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 things over time so in terms of um removing barriers and improving the inclusive inclusivity for for black women for example in, in our sport um from your kind of background you've done a lot of work on this as you said what could we do to improve our um what's the word um, I can't think what the word is, but how can we basically help more black women, young women, girls get into our sport? What can we do to remove any barriers? I think representation is always so important. I mean, I don't know what actually the makeup of your team looks like. I, sh I should know that. I'm sorry, I don't, but I, I don't know who, what, who you have, but I feel like just seeing people that look like you is already the biggest is is the biggest barrier because as soon as you see someone you're like oh I can do this too which is also why I have to talk about it because I know it's not strictly NFL related but it's sport related I have to talk about that Alice Deering is the first black woman ever to be representing GB in the Olympics as an open water swimmer right now and like for me I was I absolutely adored swimming I swam pretty competitively but like only at county level but like at some point I was like no point carrying with this I'll, I'll stick with running like I've seen loads of runners. Running's for me. I'm really good at it. That's what I'll do. I was really good at swimming and I really loved it. But there was literally no one that looked like me. Wasn't possible. Hated what the water did to my hair. Didn't have a swim cap that fit my hair. Eventually, I was just like, I'm going to sack it off. I've only recently got back into swimming. And it has literally, like, it's it's honestly saved my life in, in lockdown. I've had a couple of personal tragedies. And the only thing I did to survive was going swimming in a lake near my house. And honestly, I can't even believe that I denied myself that for so many years and that so many people will have denied themselves that because no one looks like them and is doing it. And I just think like Alice Steering, honestly, like all power to the girl, because I really think we don't even realise what impact that will make. And there's so much that's going on. And on my recent film, I partnered with Soulcap, who are the inclusive swimming brand who she's their ambassador and they're doing so much amazing work to just like normalize swimming not just for black people but for people who can't afford to go swimming because swimming pools are actually really expensive or people who don't live near a lake so would never get the chance it's just like why is well-being being priced out of people like it feels like you can only have access to like mental health care and well-being facilities if you can afford it which is like you can't get much more natural than a body of water why can't people access that so, I mean, representation is a massive one. If you can, like, invite, go into schools and invite some girls in and just say, hey, this is what we do. Like, come and watch a training game. Like, just come and see. Have a chat with us afterwards. Even if you don't look like them, be like, we want you to be in this space. And we didn't think we belonged in this space because, like, a few years ago, it was only men. And we're, like, absolutely paving the way and pioneering and saying that we're going to be the first women's team to make it to the Olympics. And, you know, all of these things, you don't have to look exactly like them you just have to show them that you were in this position too and you care 
and you're here for them and you're going to support them and it, it really can be as simple as that just like with that one person like you said Ellie like literally all it took was Lou like cornering you on a night out I mean like come really mm. that's all it takes yeah definitely I mean I would hope that there's more and more women like Lou. I think Lou, um, like at uni, she was such an advocate for women being able to do the same the same thing as the guys were doing, you know? We were actually, we had several examples where we actually were told we weren't allowed to do the same things the boys were doing, which um, was really, t- I'll tell the story quickly. Um, so obviously we were playing flag, the men were playing tackle. I think that's sort of the first thing I wanted to flag. Um, when we're talking about like men and women playing the sport, all the uni teams have men's tackle teams. A few of them probably have women's tackle teams, but they tend to have women's flag teams. So automatically women think, okay, I'm a woman, so I can't play the physical side. I can't play the, t- the contact sport. I have to play flag. Mm-hmm. So I think that's sort of the first thing. But then we had this like bizarre situation where for the first time we were invited to um, the sort of sports social with, with the men which was our like initiation into the team. And um, of course, uh, we had a great time. The girls drank a lot, so did the boys, but one of the girls ended up being quite unwell. And um, next thing we knew, uh, Lou was called into like a disciplinary meeting with the student union board. Um, and they were saying things like, you know, girls, you shouldn't be drinking the same as the men. You shouldn't be running the same distances. We had to like run all over the campus. You shouldn't be running. You shouldn't be doing the same things they are. And you were outraged, weren't you? Lou I, was honestly, like, I, can't I, I sat there and she said to me, um, first of all, you shouldn't have been drinking the same amount. I said, everyone knew that they could stop when they wanted. Okay, well, you shouldn't have been running to and from campus like that. You could suffer from exhaustion. I said, well, three of our players are GB players, so that's offensive. And then she said, well, the clothes you were wearing were inappropriate because we were wearing sports bras and like night pros. And I literally was just like, the guys were naked and you're worried about us wearing sports and in the end, she was she didn't have a leg to stand on and just basically had to let the whole thing go. It was just, I've never been so offended in my life as being yeah. sat there, being told by this woman of all the stuff that we couldn't do that the men were allowed to do. I know. I, mean, I just, I just wow. think there'll be plenty of women who would just sit there and, and think, shit, I've done something wrong. I've led all these like poor women astray. Like I must have put them in a really vulnerable situation. But mm-hmm. you know, you need people to say, no, that's not right. Like, what are yes. you talking about? Yes. Um, and I think yes. absolutely you did that. But we obviously need to make sure that we're facilitating environments where women feel like they can stand up and say, you're wrong. I can do this. I can do anything that the guys can do. Yeah. Yes, I could not agree with this anymore. I just want to cheer. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm happy oh. to think that I'm happy to know that you think of me like that because um that's that's what it's all about, right? We've got to get as many girls doing this stuff as we can. And yeah. the more of us that go out there and do it, the more girls that will get involved. Yeah, and hopefully the more women who are, you know, positions a few or have many years beyond us will also know that like they can support this it's the worst when you hear stories like that when it wasn't a man it was actually a woman (laughs) that's that's the worrying thing it really is Mm. yeah okay so I think we'll leave it there for today um I hope everyone else has enjoyed this as much as I have because um this has probably yeah been my favorite podcast so far with the topics and it's been great having you guys on with all of your knowledge and everything it's um 
come together really nicely. I'm really pleased. <laughs> it's well, I absolutely loved it. It's honestly been the most exciting chat. You're both amazing, amazing women. It's been so nice to just speak with you and, and yeah, learn about you and what you're doing. Thank you for having I mean, me on. You have the most amazing, like, resume <laughs> things you're doing. So, yeah, it was great to chat with you as well. Totally. I feel very inspired when I have conversations with people like you guys. Yeah, and Kat, I, I don't know if you can see the comments, but Maurizio oh. is, um, where's Maurizio from? Mexico. Mexico. He's from Mexico, but he's living here in Germany with us, and he plays for Wanderers with my husband. And he's actually written, Kat, I heard a bit of your project on Sports for Girls. I know, or I worked with the Nonviolence Project, and the UK chapter is getting big with some content and reach that might be of interest to you. I'm interested in your project. Congratulations. So you, you have yourself a little fan there. Oh, let's keep in touch. Yeah. yeah. How do how do we how do we how do I even find the podcast? I wish I knew. <laughs> yeah, I just threw cat into this and was just like, just click this link. Um, it's published to Facebook, and then the comments will be underneath as well. I'll guide you to our page and everything. Fantastic, thank you, Mauricio. I'll follow up with you. I'd absolutely love to hear more about. Yeah, that, that sounds great. He's he's great for um for supporting us girls and everything. So that would be a nice. Hey, thing to have. Yeah, we need more male allies. The more, the more, the more, yeah. the merrier. So. He's definitely an ally for sure. That's great. Okay. Well, thank you very much. I will let you guys go off and enjoy the rest of your evenings. And uh, maybe we can chat again at another point to see if anything has changed. <laughs> that would be great. Sounds good. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. That up this episode. Find us on Facebook at First and 15 Podcast. Give us a like to keep up with all of our shows. Also, check out our sponsor, Nuola, for all your customized sportswear supplies.